0: The material of the statue is the clay, and the form of the statue is the form of the tree. This
1: diagram is very
0: not
1: very interesting. I know. <laughs> well, <laughs>
0: we're moving to things that there aren't really pictures of. Oh,
1: that's like knowledge.
0: Like knowledge. So can you
1: draw knowledge. You draw right. But no, a different thing?
0: Maybe. Maybe okay. we we'll, <laughs> and obviously there has to be a third element, the agent, which brings the material and the form together. In that case, this agent has two aspects, one that relates more to the form, the eyes relate more to the form of the tree, and the hands manipulating the clay, which of course leads to the question, how do the eyes and hands work together? You need a third thing, and then you have the a over breakdown. Okay, we're going to go back to knowledge. So, knowledge, like the clay statue, is something that comes into existence. You have some, you could have more. Some people have less, right? So, if there's, just like the clay statue, there's the form and the material. Knowledge has form and the material. Okay. Where, what is the, what is knowledge, what, what is the material of the knowledge? And you have to pay attention I'm using the words. When I'm using the term material, I'm using the sense of what role does the clay play in the statue? What does the clay do relative to the statue? It becomes the statue, right? By being reshaped. Yes? So what is the thing that becomes knowledge by being reshaped? Well, that's not helpful. What? The mind. Okay. So the mind... As your mind, your mind becomes the knowledge by being reshaped. That's what we mean as material. I don't mean that it's material in a physical sense. That's why I did not use the word matter. This is a metaphysical concept. One entity becomes something by being restructured and reshaped. Your mind becomes knowledge by being restructured and reshaped. Yes?
2: Is this opposed to the idea that exists physical brain
0: being actually reshaped with different neural pathway. I, I will get to that soon. Okay. okay. Now, if it's not, can you know something that isn't real?
1: Yes. No. Yeah. Wait, no. You can understand 100%. something, no. No. you don't know it. No, 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 what? no, 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 no. no. no, no, no. <laughs> You
2: never know it. Can you know
0: something that isn't real? Okay. So this is, an, this, is an, this is an important thing. If I am experiencing a gorilla in front of me, if I'm having the visual experience of a gorilla in front of me, if I'm seeing a gorilla, or I'm hallucinating.
2: Depends if you're in Africa, So this, 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 is, so
0: this is a semantic question which has yeah, maybe profound metaphysical consequences. We can use the word seeing to describe the subjective experience only, in which case a person hallucinating seeing a gorilla and a person seeing an actual gorilla are both equally seeing, and then the question whether there's an actual gorilla is independent, in which case, seeing is entirely subjective. Or we can say, no, seeing means that your subjective experience has maps onto objective reality, and so you can only see a gorilla if there's one there. If you are having the same subjective experience but there's no gorilla there, that's not called seeing, that's hallucinating. And then we can say, how can a person tell whether they're seeing or whether they're hallucinating, is an interesting question. So, this is a very important thing. When we use words that imply a subjective being's relationship with reality, are those words entirely subjective or do they have an objective component? So, does seeing mean there's something actually there and you're seeing it, so therefore you can't see things that aren't there? Does knowing mean you're knowing something that is actually there and therefore you can know it? Or are seeing and knowing merely descriptions of, of your experience and they may or may not have any bearing on reality? Now, like many of the things we've discussed, there's a big shift between classical thinking and modern thinking in this. Guess which one thinks which one? In modern thinking, what does seeing mean?
2: No. That is subjective. subjective. Purely
0: subjective, right? Whereas in classical thinking, seeing, only you would only use the word seeing if... It's the thing is actually there. If you are having a, a similar experience but there's nothing there, we call that something else entirely hallucinating. Okay. What I'm
3: seeing things? So, things are not,
2: You're not
0: seeing things. You're not seeing things. You're under the impression that you're seeing things. You're deluded into, th- into believing that you're seeing things. We're not actually seeing things. But when we say, like,
2: is there a gorilla there or am I seeing things?
0: Right, that's because we're using the word in its more modern sense.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: So, <laughs> classically, and, and there's, there's, reasons for, there's reasons for thinking this. this goes back to that whole like reality is objective. There is a re- is that what it means to have any kind of perception whatsoever is that there's an interaction between reality and your subjective mind. So, seeing is that, knowing is that, hearing is that. So the idea that you just have the subjective experience without the corresponding objective reality undermines the whole purpose of those things. The whole idea of seeing is not that you're having a subjective experience, but that your subjective experience somehow links you and binds you and informs you about the world outside of yourself. And so, if there's no world outside of yourself, then that's not seeing; it's imagining. And if you can't tell the difference, well, then there's something wrong with you, and we're sorry about that. We'd like to help you. Maybe we know how, but we don't know how. But okay. now, if your entire moral system centers around your your individual personal well-being, you would tend to favor which kind of view of seeing—one that it matters whether it really maps onto reality or that it doesn't. On the other hand, if your moral sense is placing the person in the proper context of the world at large, then your notion of seeing is going to make sure seeing is something that maps onto reality. And If it's not doing that, then, then what's the point of seeing? I'm going to give you an example, I mentioned this before, um, where most people have an intuition that this is in fact the case. So we all not put our smartphones in the bin, we have some smartphones Please put them in the bin, makes me nervous, maybe that's just my subjective problem. Okay. Let me just finish the thought. If, if, if you are at a funeral and you find the fact that this person died leaving small children funny, do you think that that's just, well, you know, everybody, everybody reacts differently, and that's okay, or do you think there's something off about that? There's something off, meaning that there is a sense of humor, and the sense of humor should pick up on things that are objectively... Humorous, And this is not humorous, so it shouldn't be triggering your sense of humor. And if it is, something went wrong. And, right? That's, that, uh, now, if you take that kind of an intuition and you build moral theories around that, which obviously a God-given religion would have to describe to that worldview, then you have to start thinking of senses as, again, things that link your subjective experience with the larger reality. And so it doesn't make sense to speak of seeing something that isn't there or hearing something that isn't there or knowing something that isn't true. All you can say is you're deluded into believing that you're seeing something, okay? So, given that that way of learning Judaism, and Judaism has that worldview, you can't know something that isn't real and true. Yes? What, what how do we define something that's real and true? That is a very good question. In, in the context of Judaism, this is a simple problem to solve because God created the world. It is a very difficult problem if you don't have a creator. But even
3: with a creator, like, how do I know? Did you, now you switch,
0: you switch from, you switch, bet, you switch between two very different questions, which is, which is one, you switch from metaphysics to epistemology, which means yes. what is for how do I know? How do I know, like, basically like this. On the big scale of philosophy, who has the upper hand, the classical way of thinking or the more modern way of thinking? Classical way of thinking in every regard except one, which is epistemology. Once you throw the how do I know question, that just tends you down a rabbit hole that all you're left with is your own subjective experience, and then you get more modern thinking. Okay. So, that's probably where I'm what?
1: That's probably
0: where I'm right, no, that's, that's the thing, is you, and you'll notice that every time I explain something like that, it'll make perfect sense until you throw that, yeah, but how do I know? How can I? And then you, like, well, also I'm relying on my subjective experience. So then, the only thing that's real is my subjective experience. So then, well, then, how am I, why should I give my subjective experience any more credibility than your subjective experience? Then, we're in the modern world. Okay, but that comes at a very big cost because now that means that everything other than our subjective experiences, there's no, there's, there's no,
3: like, unifying, truth. There's no
0: unifying truth. There's no larger context, right? And then, you know, certainly, God-given religion such as Judaism doesn't make sense. There. I'm teaching you Judaism, I have this like, wonderful little um, fail-safe, which is, since we're learning about Judaism, we need to stay within the structures of Judaism.
3: So even within Judaism, say, like in the Torah or elsewhere in, in Jewish learning, there's some phenomenon that's described. Does that mean that there, but what about phenomena that, phenomena that are not explicit within in Jewish theology or knowledge? Is that not true?
0: So basically the way it works is like this, is that Judaism has to be rich enough to provide a precedent for evaluating everything. And that's that's a basic premise. of Judaism, Torah. that's why there's Torah talks about weird stuff. Because not that it's relevant because because if if Torah is going to be so to speak the limit that we use to evaluate reality, then there has to be precedent for every phenomenon we encounter. We have to contextualize it within the Torah. Like forever. What? Forever throughout all of, all of it. And this is just another, this is, this is the practical manifestation of the event that determines the blueprint of reality.
1: What's weird stuff? <laughs>
0: Have a if you this is this is if you have a person who throws another person off a building, and before the second person hits the ground, the third person chops the th- second person's head off. What's the law? Now, like, how often does that happen in human history?
1: Wait, if someone
3: throws someone <laughs> off <laughs> someone
0: throws someone off a building, mid air, and yes. mid air before, right before they hit the ground, right off a ten-story building, right before they hit the ground, a third person chops off the person's falling head.
3: Right, you're the person who's falling, or the person who pushed right. the. the person who's falling.
0: falling. Okay.
1: Who murdered so two him? two
3: people jump off. The, I mean, no, no, they know, no, no, the no. Killed no. Killed so who yeah. murdered? The one who killed him. And the person who killed, killed him? him. The person chops off the falling head. Didn't you just okay. say he, he so hit it. the ground? Yeah, someone someone chopped his head off. That's no. what he's saying. So the one killed him.
0: Why did he kill him first? Okay, now I just want to point out. Does this normally happen? No. Ninety-nine point nine nine percent of murders. This is not a relevant question.
2: What's the answer, A? Why? It's
0: actually a whole yeah. debate in the Talmud. Why, yeah. Why yeah. is it it's discussed destroyed. in the
3: Torah? You could
0: see it happening. Not talking, talking about a gun. Someone yeah. shooting someone. No, a gun is actually not a gun. A gun. A gun. So a gun, a gun is are Arrows using arrows and guns are different. Thing. I, I, there's other weirder I ones, but I was trying to think of one that's easy to explain quickly.
1: There's also these weird Wait, scenarios because they, they establish
0: fundamental premises about how to evaluate reality. you not answering the question. I'm not answering the question. I'm saying. Hey, that's, what, um, that's one of the reasons that frustrates people when they learn something, Gemara, right? in Great Light, is that's that, something, right? that I most that's of the, right? the Gemara is using weird is scenarios <laughs> to explore the metaphysical truths about reality as God sees it, rather than describing like, practical scenarios that most people encounter most of the time. Wait,
3: did you say this frustrates you?
0: No, it doesn't frustrate you. It frustrates many people in encountering oh, it online.
3: So, by weird, you mean scarce?
0: Weird, unusual, sometimes hard to imagine ever happening. Very specific. Yes. Very okay. strange. I was trying to avoid ones that are not controversial. A lot of them are controversial, but I was afraid I did too many controversial Don't things. Do it. Our minds will go off. So.
3: I have a controversial thing for myself. Okay. <laughs> and maybe it's not a good answer, But so like, when we're talking about the science and like dating the birth, let's say. Yeah. That is within the context of, of Jesus, and that is not true.
0: Well, you have to break down with the specific They can match up. You have to break down the specific scientific claims, but yeah, yeah. let's say for sake. So then... Want
1: to tell you a story? Yeah, I love a okay. story. So I was of-
0: So I want... So one of the great things about having children is you can run experiments on minds before I'm they get so so fully be contaminated so by the larger culture and see, like, what what would happen with a young mind, right? Okay. So we went to I'm the... conditioned mind. Can- so so we went, we, went, we, went to the, we went to these caves uh, near Beit Shemesh with my whole family and we're walking and the tour guide was, uh, said um, that the stalactites take millennia to develop. So this one's 10, 000, 10 million years old or 30 million years old, whatever it is. Which of course, you know, they did a like god created the world 5,780 years ago does they make not line up so well, right? Um, so I, my older sons were, were, were with me and I noticed that kids there was like some... Like, 13, 14, 15 year olds right ahead of us, and they were starting like, debating this and discussing this and very thrown off by this. So I figured, let's, let's see what happens if I draw attention to my, you know, <laughs> and then eight and seven year olds and see what happens then. So I asked them, I said, do you know how long it takes for like a, a, a centimeter of stalactite to develop, or stalagmite, whichever one it is? And they said, no. I said, well, the tour guide just told us one centimeter takes 100 years. I'm like,
1: wow. And I said,
0: so how long did it take for this one to develop? And they're like, look, I said, that must have taken like five or six hundred years. And so then I said, and how long did it take for Hashem to create that? And they say, instantly. Mm-hmm. So then I said, how did, it take, how did this one take to develop? And I showed them this big one, which clearly, you know, if you do the calculation, it's hundreds of thousands of years old. And they said, well, Hashem made that one right away, <laughs> because... If you have a notion that God creates the world out of nothing instantaneously, right? Then the idea that you use your observation of the rate of change to work back for how long something has to exist becomes a meaningless proposition. Something the Rambam actually writes in the for the Perplexed. And because and they they, didn't, they don't they don't they don't even know that there's an opinion that the people have that the world is millions of years old. They were just thought this the most obvious thing. Like this one could have developed, and this one had to be created whole because that's how the thing works. Okay, um, and, and, and so the, the issue here is that you have to break down very specific claims, right? Which is, you know, most of scientific claims have to do with extrapolating rates of change. Yeah. And those are valid. We measure the rate of change and in as much as the rate of change can be extrapolated, this is true. Okay, that's fine. But there's an underlying, um, there's an underlying assumption made which is that the extrapolated rate of change is in fact the reality. And that, so In this
3: context, like, like, knowledge based on those types of statistical extrapolations is not true
0: knowledge. Which is, I'm going to get to that, yeah, we're going to get to part of our problem with human beings having knowledge. Okay. It's not that we can't have any knowledge, but our ability to have knowledge is very limited. Okay. So where do you get the knowledge from? Well, in theory, you get the knowledge from reality, right? Except it's not like reality just beams into your head. So the form of the knowledge... Your form of your knowledge actually comes not from reality, but from your senses. And then your senses get from reality. Right? For the most part. How do you, how do you get information about the world? Through your eyes, your ears, right? You, there's rea- the way reality actually is, and then you have senses that pick up on reality, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have sets for per- sense perceptions. So, for instance, like in science, this would be like how you collect data. But it's more simple things like this, like the fact that you're seeing a chair in front of you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So reality influences your senses, and then your senses, and then whatever your senses pick up, and become the basis of how you develop knowledge. And you're assuming- Oh, so this is the thing. Even if your senses are functioning properly, they are not picturing and picking up the totality of reality, are they? No. Okay. Another thing is your mind, your mind um, has, your, your mind um, ha, has, is um, in, embodied in something called a brain.
1: We've moved away from
0: that, Charles, no? What? We've moved away from that. This is, this is. It like this. The mind, now your mind is instantiating the physical brain, which means if your mind is going to be able to do something, the brain has to be able to embody that. I'm going to give you a simple example of what I mean because it's a little abstract. Okay. Causal chart, right? This explains that an abstract notion of causality, reality influences the senses. The senses somehow influence the knowledge. The brain influences the mind. The mind, influences the mind. Yeah, this is this is explaining abstractions, right? But I am making those abstractions tangible and relatable by using markers and a whiteboard, right? Does a mind necessarily need a brain? And the answer is no. Angels have minds; they don't have physical brains. However, your mind, in order for it to be tangible in the physical world works through a brain. So for instance, why can you not teach calculus to a three-year-old? Is that a problem of the non-material soul's inability to know things, or is it a problem that the brain is not sufficiently developed to embody that? There's
2: a lot of developmental problems there.
0: <laughs> Which one? Is the is the soul of a three year old incapable of ever coming to know calculus? And they get like, no, the problem is the brain's not sufficiently developed. Using a using a more simple thing, is a blind person's soul incapable of seeing, or are their eyes not working? The, the eyes are not working. The
1: brain
0: not working. Or the brain is not working. When you talking
1: about the
3: mind in a child like ever having the possibility to know, then
0: are we talking about knowledge in the sense of potential and like forever? Very, 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 very good. Hold that
3: thought for like 15 to 20 minutes. <laughs> you're thinking very well. <laughs> right. So it works like this. She's like, it's gone. <laughs>
0: Okay. By the way, it gets worse. By the way, okay. So the brain is a limiting factor on the mind, right? So the mind, the mind of a two-year-old is going to be capable of being formed into knowledge to a much less degree than the mind of a twenty-year-old. That's not because that. That's because of the limiting influence of the brain. Okay. Then the what you're working off to form the mind is your sense perceptions, but those are based off of reality, right? And your sense perceptions are a perfect measure of reality.
2: I think those also develop a lot.
0: Right, but, but I want to make this more problematic. You actually don't have a direct line between your senses and reality. There's your senses, then there's the physical, and then there's...
2: i change my talk now.
0: Which I don't In other words, like this. your senses actually see the chairness of a chair or the causality of like a rock breaking window? Those aren't physical. What do they see? They see shape, color, size, right? They hear sounds. And it's via that you have some sense of? Chair. Chair. So the way it was like this is... Whatever makes the chair, the chair is embodied in the physicality of the chair, the physicality of the chair that your senses see. So you're now you're hoping that the physical chair does a good job of manifesting the metaphysical, what, what, what it is to be a chair, and then you're doing your whole job that your senses are getting an accurate pickup of that, and then only then are you going to start developing knowledge. In the meantime, we hope your brain is sufficiently developed that it allows for a sufficiently pliable and malleable mind to be formed into something, which means how much do we trust most human beings' knowledge? It's probably highly incomplete, right? And then you throw in like Wait, emotional- Well,
3: incomplete doesn't mean
0: wrong. No, no, it doesn't mean wrong. But then, and this is where we get the wrong part, then if you take something that's incomplete, throw in emotional biases, oh yeah, and then people start extending and making claims and beliefs <laughs> based on what they know beyond what they actually know,
1: yeah,
0: just... now we have a problem. Right? But we're, we're not talking about that extent. The knowledge here is still gonna be true, it's just gonna be highly limited. The brain limits the mind's ability to be a worthy material to form knowledge. And the degree that the physical expresses the metaphysical, and the degree that the senses pick up on the physical's expression of the metaphysical, limits how much of how, what, you're, what, what you're trying to turn your mind into. Okay. Yeah? Okay. We said that knowledge is something that you know it so much that you act on it, right? You see it through your actions. Without, without consciously having to choose to. Okay. So if you're constantly choosing to, that can be motivated in a number of things. Okay, um, I
2: think this is an example, but you can obviously correct me if I'm misunderstanding. But I'm thinking of like, someone who thought that they saw um, somebody, I don't know, like let's say I thought I saw my friend key my car right. or something like that. But I, like, I didn't like, think I see it like, did I just see that? I, like, I'm pretty certain that is what I saw. And now I have this fuming anger like, how dare she? and then it continues and it simmers and even when I'm not consciously
0: thinking about it So there is a little element of something that is actual knowledge in there and most of that is a bunch of other stuff than blowing it out of proportion The element of of knowledge that you have is you have an element of justice you know that there is right and wrong there is deserving and undeserving that's something you know right? and that's in there so you take that out of there there's no simmering anger take that element out you have this sense that there is, there's right and wrong and there's accountability, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, but then, and that's actually about the only thing you know in that. Everything else there...
2: Well, but a person might think I know my car was keyed. I know I saw this
1: person keyed. Right, that's car. what I'm
0: trying to tell you, is that so those other things don't really count as knowledge. And one of the things that, the important thing about knowledge is that knowledge can't be things that are, that are, that are, that are situational dependent. So you can't know that someone
2: does
0: not really. Can you know that God created the
2: world? No.
0: Yes, but that becomes the issue that we use words because we don't have good words for what God did. But let, let's let's. What, no, what you you can know there's a rightness and the wrong, and then everything else is you are so convinced that this is an example of, you're convinced this is an example of injustice, and you're convinced you're the one that should have to deal with it. And those things aren't actually knowledge. Those things are you know a bunch of you know a lot of it's emotional.
2: So we only know
0: abstract things like we, justice or causality, or math. That's the that's the lowest level. I said I said yesterday the lowest level of knowledge is math,
2: mm-hmm. and the
0: highest level of knowledge
2: morality.
0: is morality. Uh-huh.
2: So, but all those things in
0: between, everything. Is right. So now chairs can be part of knowledge because chairs feature within those other larger contexts, just like math involves numbers, okay. justice involves. Economics and economics involves things defined by function, and therefore chairs exist in justice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like if you steal my chair, yeah. we do. We have to evaluate it based on the fact that you stole a chair, not that you stole a piece of plastic. And so the chairness of the chair has a a, a, a contributing role in the in the realm of morality. But and I effects.
2: thought you don't know that I stole your chair. No, I'm
0: saying no. I'm I'm saying why chairs are something. You, why why chairs are something you can know. There is something fundamentally true about chair because of the role it plays in morality. If you, st- if you steal something or you destroy something, what are you liable for? Well... But when, okay, but what defines the thing is some sort of... In the case of a chair, what defines it is it's being a chair, right? It's the right. idea that a chair a chair has a... This is one of the issues that, that... Really getting at the metaphysical reality of things often requires seeing them in a context. A, a chair is not just a piece of plastic, it's for sitting, as we said yesterday. And therefore its worth and its value has to be understood that. And therefore the idea of compensation and justice has to take those things into account. And therefore the reality of justice in some way has, within it somewhere, in some like interesting mental cabinet, is the notion of things being defined by their societal function and therefore you know, tools and furniture have some kind of real reality about
2: it. So what, I, what I'm hearing you say is that I need knowledge of what a chair is societally in order to have knowledge of justice. Correct. So that I do have knowledge of chairs. Which Correct. Is, which are not abstract.
0: Well, I, I use the word abstract. I use the word absolute.
2: Wait, to mean different things. Okay. Because
0: abstract you mean that's not initially abstract. connected to physicality. What I mean absolute is yeah. that it's not limited to this specific circumstance. Or the other word is universals. Is not an
2: okay. Is is knowing that like my mom is actually my mom is that an absolute knowledge or is that dependent
1: on motherhood?
0: Motherhood is an, ab, is an universal because that there is a there is a, there is a, a, a fine feature of reality is motherhood and relationship and what that means and what that entails. But your particular mother
1: I don't know, just that an instant. Oh, yeah, know,
0: know that my mom. You can know...
2: That's not this knowledge?
0: Nah, r- not really, no. You would, never, you would never get to this kind of knowledge.
2: But don't I act... I feel like a lot of my life, I'm acting on the very strong assumption you it, <laughs> that my mom is my mom. <laughs> so This is definitely a way, that way is to that create not, anxiety. Is what? <laughs>
1: that's the distinction
2: I'm trying to... No, this is like how anxiety comes what
0: about. I, what I'm saying is there. No, what I, so what I would say is like this. You clearly... No, it's like this. You clearly have knowledge of... You clearly have knowledge of motherhood, and you got that probably because your mother did a pretty good job of embodying what motherhood is. Now, it may be that, you know, somebody, the person that did a good job of instantiating motherhood, like, on a purely technical ground, like, there's, they're being misled, and they, they, they you know, it's like... If, In math, you can do you can you can assume things that are completely false, and you can work around it, and eventually discover what's true. You can get at knowledge in many different ways. If you have someone that is embodying and and, and presenting what motherhood is in your life, you will develop some sort of knowledge of what motherhood is, and you will make and you'll have very strong convictions that you know the person that seems to be doing a good job of being the mother is probably the mother. We have to differentiate between your knowledge of of of, 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 of mother versus why you're convinced that this person is your mother. Now that's a very subtle distinction that
2: right, but, but I'm not convinced she's my mother because she's being a good mother or because she's the person who raised me or any of that stuff. I'm convinced she's my mother because I'm convinced that she actually birthed me like yeah, but what, No,
0: but what causes you to believe that?
2: So that's what I'm saying.
0: So, Ninny, you're using is that. So, so right. that thing is but your sense that there's something called motherhood, that there's a mother who gives birth to people, and, and I obviously have one. That's knowledge. That this is the one who did it. That's. So,
2: I have knowledge that I have, have a
0: mother. Uh-huh. And you have very strong convictions That this is your mother uh-huh. And they're slightly <laughs> different
3: I'm going to tell my mother <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> to Lizzie's going yeah. to
1: freak out,
2: out.
0: Oh. Yeah. She's going to be like but also, yeah,
3: there's, no way to, there's no way to like how do you
2: I know like if you I know something? As that I think Jim was, was going yeah, out of a was plane, it, if that's I operate
0: wait, wait, as though I equally know that I must do. have a mom and that they're fully than I think? That's, that's true, because I once feel like you I add an element of knowledge, I want to take back what I said. When I say you can tell the person has knowledge based on their actions, that doesn't mean the entirety of their actions is only attributed as knowledge. But anytime you see a person consistently acting in certain ways without in any way, one is true like deciding that's the right thing to do. There is some element of knowledge there that has then been elaborated on based on other factors such as emotions, such as social expectation, blah, 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 blah. But the kernel that it's working off is knowledge. That's what I meant Okay, say. so like babies running to
2: their mom when they're upset or wanting their mom's sense. Have
0: some very limited sense that that a, they have a... It's not even the, the notion of, of what a mother is not fully developed at all, but they have right. some knowledge that there, there is a... A source to go back to. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I think they have
0: to that. Well, this depends on what you mean by knowledge. And yeah. Clarity of. I
2: know. Does a mother that, know? That's why I
0: want to be able to say, here's the issue is the forming of that.
2: Oh, does my mother know that I am her child? That's. Yeah. True. She was there for yeah, she, she that. Yeah, she, she did it.
3: Yeah, but.
0: <laughs> so, so, so. It. It would okay. Okay. I'm going to stop well, yeah, this conversation speak. because a lot of these questions are actually part of the, the fact that these questions exist are part of the point that the Robin wants to get at okay. so there's a, some sort of metaphysical aspect of reality mothers, chairs morality, numbers
1: <laughs> mothers, chairs, morality they're all metaphysical
0: and they're all embodied physically and then your, those physical things are apparent to your senses and it's That chain of causality even gives you the basis to copy from, to start forming your mind into knowledge. So you hope that that's working relatively well. And then your mind, it's not like some disembodied mind like an angel, it is embodied in the brain. And so if you hit the brain wrong or the brain hasn't had enough years to develop, the mind is not gonna work so well. Okay. But remember, every time we have two things, we need the third thing that brings them together? Yeah. Okay, so what takes your mind and tries to shape it in the form of the metaphysical nature of reality that's coming through your senses. Your
1: soul.
0: Okay, so we'll use the word soul for right now. You have a soul. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
3: (laughs) I'm so disconnected.
1: (laughs) I are connected soon.
0: And the soul. (laughs) We're
1: connected. I don't have
3: enough space in my diagram. Is <laughs> so the, it's it's the, the agent, it's not
0: and good. so the soul takes the form that's absorbed through the senses of the, how the physical world, the yeah. body's metaphysical truths, okay, okay. and tries it. to reshape the mind that's embodied in the brain into like that. By the way, because the mind is embodied in the brain, that actually causes physical changes in the brain. Is there an
3: issue that uh, the, I kind of say the mind and the senses are also within? The what are well, we gonna get? The, the mind and the,
1: mind the what? And the what? We're going we're, we're
0: to we're get there.
1: Okay.
0: i the
1: <laughs> Okay. Damn, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Just, what you guys, the you more you run focus run on what
0: I'm saying and don't think about how, like, all of this, the, the consequences of it, the more you'll understand. The more you try and, like, given that how does everything else, yes, I'm giving you a new idea that does redefine how we think of reality. That is true. Yeah. Which we do, like, every half hour in this class. <laughs> but, <laughs> stay with me, okay? Can I ask
2: something about what you said?
0: Is it directly, directly related?
2: Yeah, I'd like a repeat of a direct quote. Okay, so I will start from
0: the beginning. Knowledge is when the mind is reshaped into a certain form. Where does that come from? What does that form come from? There is metaphysical reality, occupied by things like right, wrong, mothers, chairs, number three, freedom, and chocolate cake. Which is then embodied in physical reality which is then experienced through the senses, and then that is the template to work off that you want to form the mind into some kind of copy of that metaphysical reality. That's what knowledge is. The mind, meanwhile, is embodied in the brain, which means the brain limits the mind's flexibility, mm-hmm. and changes in the mind restructure the physical brain. Uh,
2: why does it mean, that's the part that I wasn't clear on. What is, why does that, I guess that the brain Because, because, and I'm not really gonna explain.
0: The relationship between the brain and the mind is itself a matter-form relationship. So go back to the matter-form what? matter relationship. Just like the clay tree, you
3: want, you want to turn the plant tree, a
0: tree the you have to reshape the clay. really yeah. yeah, just. Which a, is why yeah. brains are not computers. Oh yeah. You can ask any neurologist that brains don't work like computers. You cannot reprogram a brain to do something different. If you want to re, if you want the brain to actually be function exactly. differently, you need to physically rebuild it.
1: Right, right. <laughs> right.
0: Whereas computers, the exact same hardware can do many different things because there's no real connection oh. between what it's doing and, and its structure. There's no software-hardware distinction in brains. Uh, I mean, the
2: software and the hardware are the same. Are,
0: are two ways of looking at the same underlying reality. Right, right. okay. Yeah. Which is another way of saying form and matter. Okay. Now, yeah.
3: So, the brain is a limiting factor on the mind, but the mind is not a limiting factor on the brain. It
0: influences the brain. If you can change your mind, then the, the, the brain has a certain amount of flexibility to it, which it gives a certain amount of flexibility to the mind. As the mind exercises that flexibility, the brain will change. And so there's a, there's a reciprocal influence on the two.
2: Because it seems like there's more reciprocity happening over here.
0: No, this is actually... There's more reciprocity. The brain physically develops like as you age the mind becomes more flexible. The mind actually gains knowledge that restructures the brain, which makes the brain more flexible to body as well as level of mind. That's like no more uh, You can you can
2: study uh, a lot of like one in short, there's like very particular taxi drivers that interesting yeah. person who have studied so intensely spatial relational things. That that part of their um, brain is
0: actually bigger. That part
2: of their brain is really huge and other parts of their brain actually shrink.
0: Yeah, like, the, like, like, the, like the, part of, the, the part about human decency.
1: Serial anonymous. they Okay, that was a
0: joke. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so if that's form and matter, there has to be
2: an agent there also. The I brain.
0: know, but we're not gonna talk about that right now. Mm-hmm. I
2: know.
1: Can
0: you teach a separate class called, like, Neuroscience and Positis? No. <laughs> the killer and the cab driver. As close as you're getting. That's, like, all I want in life. Okay. So, so far so good? Don't
1: know as good as you want.
2: So, we can't be more set. We can't...
0: You can't be, so... I want to focus on what, what the main part of this. Okay. Now, here's the problem. Your mind has many aspects to it. Which part of your mind actually becomes knowledge? Is it the part of your mind that feels emotion? By mind, I mean like the inner mental world. Is it the part of your mind that, that experiences emotions? Is it the part of your mind that has desires? Is it the part of your mind that recalls memories? No, which part? Like, it's not even the part of your mind that thinks thoughts. I mean, for example, can you think that you're a purple elephant? You could think the thought, I'm a purple elephant. Does that, does that in any way move you towards having knowledge that you're a purple elephant? No, it's not possible to that you're a purple elephant because you're not. So We need a name for the part of your mind that is capable of becoming knowledge. It's a very specific part of that mind. Do you know what the name of that part of that mind is called? I will tell you, okay? The part of your mind that is capable of becoming knowledge is called? The intellect. The intellect, or the intellectual part of the mind, is the part of the mind that is capable of becoming knowledge. No questions. Please let me finish. Now, your senses give you a lot of information about the world, right? The form that you want to turn your mind into, right? Yeah? Where is that stored in your mind? Is it stored in like the emotional part of your mind? Is it stored in the part of your mind where you have, like, you've got instincts? Which part of your mind can like keep that, you know, like, like when you're, like when you're, when you're when, going back here, yeah? When you're forming the claims of a statue, your eyes are looking at the tree to take on its physical form, right? Okay. But if you're creating knowledge, you need, like, where is your... Well, there's a word for this. The, the, the master copy that you're working off of to try and turn your mind into. Like, okay, this is the thing I'm turning my mind into. Where are you storing that form? The which sensory part?
1: input. Well, no, but memory. the sensory
0: input isn't knowledge. The sensory input is, like, shapes so and colors. you're
1: saying where are you
0: storing the form? Where memory? is that... Because this form that we want is the metaphysical form, right? Where is... Which part... Where is that being held? Like, if you are... Reshaping your mind to look like some sort of metaphysical truth. Where are you storing that metaphysical truth to serve as the guide to make sure you're getting it right?
3: Mm-hmm. Is we,
0: that what I was talking about with time? I mean, I'm
3: that, not
0: sure. <laughs> Do I, I will tell you the part of you. It's not you know the part of your the part the part of you that does that. I cannot stop isn't either right? And, yeah. Wait what? Oh, I N T. I N T.
3: Y-
1: yep. you Oh, they
0: are
3: also oh, Add- es- the
0: It's the same part. The same <laughs> part that stores the form to work off of is the same part that is getting turned into the form and weights. Your soul has many capacities, the capacity to love, the capacity to despair, the capacity to yearn. It also has the capacity to form knowledge. Guess which part of the soul does that? The intellect. Which means knowledge is a very unique process and it is the only thing like it, which is why it's hard to explain, because knowledge is the intellect turning itself into something.
1: There's three different kinds of intellect. Right? There's three
0: different aspects of learning. There's the aspect of the intellect which is being turned into something. There's the aspect of the intellect that, is be, that it's being turned into. And then there's the aspect of the intellect that's doing the turning. Yeah. And when, they're all, when that all works, that's called... Knowledge. Knowledge.
2: So which part of this is missing in the other things we've been saying? Like knowing that something
1: happened situationally.
0: Because everything else requires more distinct elements. Like senses... Like knowing something happened requires sense perception and locality, it's other things. There's more going on. In other words, you could theoretically, you could theoretically disembody this from a physical brain and disembody this from sense perception, then what you would have would be an angel. If you just cut this part and made it just that, that's an angel. In other words, there's no reason in principle it has to work through a physical brain and physical sense perception. Ours does. Wait, I'm not sure how that answers my
2: question, though.
0: My,
2: my question was how is it not knowledge? Because, what, what because all
0: this other stuff that you're talking about is stuff that only exists in sense perception. Things that are limited by time and space and specific circumstances.
2: Okay, but so that can be there, right? The, the senses can. That's right,
0: but. but it's knowledge.
2: Like, it, it's still knowledge even if you don't cut all the other stuff out. That's right, but
0: it's going to be more limited. And what the knowledge part is the only part that is distinct from what's captured by the senses. The, in other words, what's true... Let me give you an example. We're going to use the example of a tree. I'm, I have knowledge of a tree. What do I know about a tree? it a That's right. Do we know... Do, what else do we know about a tree? It has roots. It has roots, right? What do we not know about the tree? If it's green. If it's green. And even if the tree is green, we still don't know that it's green because there's nothing inherent about a tree that makes it...
2: Wait, but if I see the tree... You
0: still don't know that it's green, and the reason is the, that's right because the word knowledge reflects metaphysics There is nothing about the tree In other words like this if okay. the tree would be would not be green would it still be would it still be a tree?
1: Absolutely.
0: So what you have is something else you're saying I know this is a tree I know what a tree is in addition to this tree this tree has other elements which are nothing to do with a tree and, 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 and that is already a different layer of cognition. Now the problem is we don't think about things like this most of the time. We
1: don't think
0: about things like that. Right, no, no, most people are very much wrapped up in what the senses can perceive and care very little about the underlying metaphysical reality. But Knowledge is all about the underlying metaphysical reality. So the more you know about a tree, the less the physical appearance of the tree really matters.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The more you know about anything, the less its physicality really makes a difference you want to think about this in a social sense, the more you know somebody, the less their physical appearance is really part of what you're relating to. Okay? Because knowledge is dealing with things that actually transcend the physical, they might be expressed through the physical. Like what makes a tree, by the way, you can go deeper, like what really makes a tree a tree? So you get like, what is the, what is, what, 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 what is the true spiritual essence of a tree that would be truly know a tree without a
2: if we take a person that I know, like sorry to you, but if I take Bhatia, right? Let's say that like even if Bhatia was dressed completely differently, looked totally differently, or was standing behind a screen and I couldn't see her, if I heard her
0: talking, I might still know that it's her. So it's yeah, her but the, her the problem is yeah,
1: the problem but she still has curly hair.
0: But the problem it's is like this: the problem true. is we have to. It, if you're going to you're going to get involved in a technical discipline, it's it's annoying to use jargon. It's important to use jargon. Okay? It's annoying to use jargon, but it's important to use jargon. You can't know something. That doesn't have a metaphysical reality to it. That doesn't—you can't know something that only exists and it only exists circumstantially.
3: So, are
0: we? We don't have metaphysical realities. We do. Like we have humanity, true. right? We're human beings, and therefore we, we're, we're accorded a certain level of dignity. or should be, right? We have certain responsibility that stems from our humanity, right? Is throwing a vase off a ten-story building the same thing as throwing a human being off a ten-story building? No, no. no is that because of a physical difference or because of a metaphysical
1: difference?
0: Is metaphysical. now does the physicality reflect that? Sure it does, right? The vase doesn't go like this. And people can go like this, but that's not the point.
1: Because we have mobile arms.
0: We just <laughs> my, my
3: body exists, but her curly hair and voice
0: are are not really what makes her, make her what her. she is, and therefore you're, being informed about that doesn't really mean that you know her. But the fact that she has a inner sense of morality, the fact that she has her life has inherent worth, the fact that she's responsible and has free will, those are things that are actually. Well, there's no metaphor.
1: distinction <laughs> that at all.
0: We're well, getting, getting, getting to that. There's a question like, is she then an individual? I realize that. That's actually what we want to get to.
1: Would
2: well, you say so
0: that she's an What? What's the one else that I have to ask?
3: Okay, so the soul you said does the turning. The intellect, the material intellect, is what it's being turned into. Then what was the form? and there's this
0: and there's this the 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 form is 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 the, the what the 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 intellect is also what is the, it's becoming an intellectual form. The intellectual part of the mind is turning into an intellectual form by the act of intellectual power of the intellect.
3: Of intellectual power of soul.
0: Right, which is all, I mean the, the soul. So, really, this is kind of like something turning itself into something. Which feels like. So, here's the technical terms. Because of this, because now. Exactly. No. So, now, <laughs> if this is knowledge, so we want, what we do is we actually give these all technical names. The Rambam gives these all technical names. Remember, this was all oh, to understand man. what the Rambam meant when he said God is the knower and the knowledge, right? This was yeah, all yeah, just to, was to get valid, to that. Yeah. Okay. The Robin, actually, yeah. the guy for the Reflex, writes, people laugh at me when I say God is knowing the knowledge, but that's just because they don't know how their own mind works. Because I if,
1: figure
0: this out. he was a wise, wise, wise man. Yeah. Had, had lots of time. Actually, he didn't. <laughs> he complains in his letters. That he doesn't have any time for anything.
3: And then he shouldn't be writing letters complaining. <laughs> Why? Maintaining
0: relationships with people that you care about is an important activity.
3: You could cut time by not complaining. By not, not saying, saying I'm No, he has
0: to share what his experiences are. And he's also explain why he's not writing letters so often. It's <laughs> <laughs> actually the context in which he doesn't. Okay. So we call this, Okay, we call this, I'm going to add some, we call this thing. Should
1: we use Should
0: green green? Color? Yeah. Okay. This is called <laughs> actual <laughs>
1: Knowledge.
0: This is actual knowledge. Okay? In order for there to be actual knowledge, three things have to come together. Okay? The mind, the this is called the, the knower. Know- I see your hand. The door. Oh, I, I messed up. The, first
1: this, the, mind
0: is the, the mind is called the knower. Why is it called the knower?
1: Because
0: it's going to have that, is it is it, it thinks it knows. Is does it actually know yet or only knows when the form, when it's reshaped into the form, right? So this is actually called, in purely technical terms, the potential knower. The mind, before it's shaped, is known as the potential knower. The form, before, right, it's like, go back here, like, the clay is a potential statue of a tree, but it's not an actual statue of a tree, right? this form that you, that your metaphysical form that's coming through the physical world that you're picking up through your senses, hopefully, right? That's called the, the potential known. That's something that could be known, but until you form your mind that way, is it actually known? Yeah. Yeah. It's like going back to the tree. The form of the tree is potentially the form of the statue. It's not actually the form of the statue until you make the statue. You shouldn't
3: acknowledge like, shouldn't no no, 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 no,
0: no, So, so then, the
1: potential really
0: So, that when the potential knower, right, is shaped into the form of what is potentially known, that's called actual knowledge, okay? And the power to do that whole thing is called potential. So there's this thing in your soul that your soul has, which is potential knowledge. And the potential knowledge shapes the potential knower in the form of what's potentially known. And when that actually successfully happens, you now have something called actual knowledge. knowledge. Except unlike with my clay statue where the clay is a distinct thing and the tree is a distinct thing and the eyes and hands of the agent who's making them is a third distinct thing, these are all three aspects of the same thing called the intellect, which means all you have really what's happening is the intellect moving from a state of potential, where it's diverse, into a state of actual unity. What happens when you know something is the mind's potential to be, sh- to be shaped, and the, mind, the sh- potential shape that the mind could be in, with the mind's potential to shape itself, are all coming together and unifying. Which means, in as much as you know something, the knower, the knowledge, and the known are all one. This is what the Rambam says, when people don't like. And every person, any time you know anything, the knower, the knowledge, and the known are all one. The clay and the tree are one in the statue. The clay is the material of the statue, the, tr- the form of the tree, right? But this is limited because the agent is really a third thing. In knowledge, the thing making the knowledge, the thing becoming the knowledge, and the thing that determines what the knowledge is turned into are all actually different aspects of the same thing. It's what all comes together. It's one thing. And so anytime you actually know something, you actually know something, the part of your mind which became that knowledge, the form it's in and the power to make it come about are all actually one, Are actually one thing. The only reason we say that you're, in your mind they're not one thing is because you have to go through a process of going from potentially knowing, potentially being, being, potentially knowing, something potentially being known, and your potential power to make it happen to it being actualized. And this then leads to what someone asks you about your individuality. How many metaphysical realities are there in total? I'm not one. One,
2: right?
0: There, like everything is all. You okay.
2: named like a few.
0: Yeah, but all those things are interconnected in one larger picture. So ultimately, it's just one large physical reality, right? So, what makes you different than me on the level of being a rational, intellectual being, which by the way makes us human, mm-hmm. is where we are along in terms of exercising this potential. In other words, like this what makes you an individual is the contrast between your potential and your? If you look at these three potentials and contrast them to your actual, that's what makes each person individual. What, are, what is your mind capable of being formed into? What kinds of forms can it take on? How powerful is it in doing the forming? And how good of a job has it done so far? That's unique to each person.
3: So our identity is,
1: is restricted to
0: in this way of looking at things, in this way of looking at things, if we look at uh, what makes you human, is primarily the fact that you have you, unlike every other physical creature, has the ability to have knowledge. Angels have knowledge, but they're not physical. Animals are physical, but they don't have knowledge. If what that's do you mean?
3: Animals don't have knowledge.
0: Metaphysical reality. And knowledge is all goes back to metaphysical reality. What is your definition
1: of metaphysical reality? It means
0: things that in essence cannot be reduced to physical things like size, shape, heat. They can't express that. We live in a world, mentally, think about it, we live in a world where the things that really are real to us are things like right, wrong, justice, and family. Don't they don't, th- th- those, those are not, the, 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 they live in a, the, 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 those, things are not, those things are not real to them. The thing that they subjectively experience as real is the sensation of being hungry and tired.
1: Somewhere yeah, like survival, just pure What? Don't they have like something. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: That, that that that's why I added the word experience. The parech thing has to do with there is an underlying metaphysical reality that is governing, and they're just not experiencing it. Okay. Which means, like this, you're, what makes like when, when you w- w- like what makes you an individual is you're, you're like a very specific piece of clay with only very going back to the example. There's a limit to what your clay can do. There's a limit to what your hands can do. There's a limit to what your eyes can do. And there's a limit to which trees you're going to encounter. And therefore, there's a limit to what kind of statues you can make. And then there's the question of how many of the statues that you could have made you've actually made. That's if your person is individual. So the individuality of a human being, what makes me distinct from you, even though we're both fundamentally human, is that humanity is a process of moving from the potential of knowing to the actual of knowing of taking different aspects of, my, of, of, this, of, this, of this part of myself which can, I can reshape itself, and how much has it reshaped itself, and how much can it reshape itself? It's constantly changing. Hopefully. It's constantly changing until about 20, and then it's up to you to put more effort in. Your like, you knowledge grows pretty consistent automatically until about 20, right? That's why like, the world you live in is a five year. It's a different world than you U15. But then there's plenty of fifty-year-olds and twenty-year-olds who basically in the same level of reality because
3: they did
0: not put any work
3: changing it. Yeah. So theoretically, a person at the same age, we, we, can if the thing that makes us individual is these, is like the difference between the actual and the potential. Theoretically, we could be not individual if we had that.
0: Right. Which Doesn't basically means which basically means that your individuality is somewhat disconnected from your essence.
3: Right, like the individuality is, is, is dependent on no one else being in the same place as you are. Right,
0: in which case the individuality is not like such a big thing. Yeah. Which now, going back to the whole thing we said, If, if what does it mean that this, the child comes from the brain of the father, is that the child comes from the essence of the father, but how united is the father as an individual person to his own essence? Mm-hmm. Not so united. Because the essence of a human being right, is this, this this process of moving from having a mind which can be reshaped and having that mind reshape itself okay. to actually being reshaped. But, but what makes me an individual is the unique path and unique potentials that I particularly have. right? And what's the thing that I pass on to my children? My unique path, my unique potential, my unique progress along that path, has that been passed on to my children? No, just the basic fundamental notion of being a potential knower, seeking out the potentially known, being powered by the potential knowledge within our soul. In which case, all i passed on is a generic humanity. I haven't passed on my unique individual self, have
2: I? Is this like directly from. This is Umik Rav, the Maima. We we're learning it now.
1: Is, <laughs> the,
0: is it the same thing? There's overlap. So what does that mean? As much as your essence comes from your father, you cannot really say, in the truest sense, it's a piece of your father. Because the part of your father that you have is the part of your father that's generically human.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not the part of your father that's uniquely him. Because that can't be. Because that can't, you can't be. Yes. Really. There's no, like, in the normal process, how that would really do that You can't,
2: like, pause that and
3: be like.
0: Right, and that all is because Knowledge in a person, although in practice, the knower, the known, and the knowledge see. become I one, but because eyes. it's a process of becoming, what you're giving over to the child is, not, is, is, that, is that capacity and that strive to engage in that process, not the actual place you are in that process. And the actual place you are and how you go about it, that's what makes you a distinct human being. There's things that make you distinct, but not on the level of humanity. Like like you might like chocolate ice cream, I might like vanilla. But but taste preferences have nothing to do with your humanity. What makes you distinct on the level of human being is your potential and how far along you are in it and what way you go about it in this quest to reshape your own mind using your own mind. And the only thing that the father passed on to his child is that fundamental journey. That's it. So their individual being doesn't actually transfer over. Right? Which is why, as children, we feel the need to assert a, a tremendous degree of autonomy from our parents. Which, by the way, does not carry over. In God. Does the godly soul ever feel the need to exert its autonomy? No. since never speaks about it. It's a need to exert autonomy. Because the godly soul actually is, has a part of God. You don't have a part. When you have your part of your father, you have the part of your father that's generic, not the part of the father, the individual. And so you have this kind of like Like, what makes me human came from him, but what makes me human is that is also different than it is in him. Yeah.
3: Um, does this like when a person starts off, like when they're born, um, does is the soul and brain the same across the board? Like, does that? What 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 the lesson? act
0: of conception is 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 unifying form and matter. Even if matter no. doesn't
3: exist.
0: So, what does exist? The
3: brain. I mean, what, brain well,
0: okay, so so the initial matter is in the formed of your brain. That's already so. It's having a brain is already yeah. well along the stage here. Okay. Conception is conception is the point, the initial point of contact between the form and the brain. But matter. does
1: everyone
3: start the same potential amount no. of potential in their soul and no.
0: no, Depends on what kind of matter you. No, no.
3: That's
1: why so i like genius.
3: Is that? Can you? What would you know? like, if you stop, metaphysical is the same for everyone, right? Because.
0: On it's some kind of deep, 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 deep fundamental level, but on the level where, where the soul attaches to the body, there there are, there are limits.
1: Uh-huh. And so, like so, some people their souls
3: is is more capable. Yeah. Of putting not in
0: because, the because it in essence more capable because the way it was initially attached to the material and the material that originally that, so that, that it has worked easy, on. So
3: it has an easier time putting the mind and the physical yeah. together. Yeah. But isn't That's why going to
0: get to that at the end of chapter two. Aren't there
3: different types of souls though?
0: That's with godly souls. Here I'm just talking about humanity in general.
3: So there are no distinctions outside of humanity in this world? Like besides like...
1: Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you said the
0: only distinction is being like... A the, only thing that no, the only distinction that's a distinction amongst humans. In other words, the fact that you have one kind of parents and else has another kind of parent, there's nothing human about that. Right,
3: right, right. So I'm saying within, within, a, within a specific category outside of humanity, Nothing that
0: makes something to me. In a metaphysical way. Well the question is if it's if the uniqueness is significant, right? You can be unique and not significant. For instance, some brownies um, are cut into triangles and some are cut into rectangles, but is that a significant difference in being a brownie? No. Yeah, okay. But where you are along the line, and how you can go about and what you are, what the what the, what the what the structure of your journey and moving to, to reshape, of your mind reshaping its own self. So those are significant in the journey of the mind reshaping itself, right? So the distinctions between one person and another are, are both distinct and significant. Now, on the, on the answer, there are other differences between people, but those are not just animalistic differences. Some people are very aggressive. That's the difference between animals. And it's a significant difference is aggressive animals have both positive qualities that help their style, but also gets into trouble sometimes. Right? In general, the males of most species tend to be more aggressive, the females of most species. I mean, that's true, but it's also true of human beings. But that's a, that's a distinction amongst people, but it's primarily a distinction about the animal dimension of people. But it's a significant distinction. Right. But then there's distinctions that are just like completely irrelevant. You know, like I happen to be here now, and not right there, and you happen to be there, and not right there. And it's so moved around with it. OK, now. So when we say that God is his knowledge, is he something that is being reshaped into something, and that's what we mean when we say God knows? No. So then, so what? What the Rambam says is, when a person knows, the potential knower is being reshaped by the potential knowledge into the shape of the potentially known, and to the degree that successful, we call that knowledge. But since God, there's no idea of moving from potential to actual, it would be as if you said he is the knower, he is the knowledge, and he is the known, but there aren't three distinct things. It's just one thing, a state of being that's known as knowledge. Which means, can you divide, if that's the case, if there's no journey, there's no development, there's no mood bringing things together, is there anything that's different between individual self and the knowledge?
1: No, it's
0: not. No. So what makes us have, or the individual level of humanity is that it's a process of bringing these elements within ourselves into a state of unity. But if God isn't bringing these different aspects into a state of unity to achieve knowledge, he just is the knowledge to begin with. Then his individual identity and his essence as knowledge are in fact the same thing. So therefore if he gives over his essential self, he's actually giving over his and he's also giving over his unique identity. In other words, like this. In every human being, in every human being, there is a distinction between what I am. What I am is this. What what am I as a human being? This is what you are as a human being. A soul with an intellect which has the potential to form knowledge by having something that can be formed into knowledge embodied in the brain. Something that can, something that, and then what it's formed into being determined by how the metaphysical will express the physical absorbed by the senses. That's what makes you a human being. In that sense, all human beings are the same, right? So what am I? I am from potential knowledge to actual knowledge. That's like what we said before. Like, is that? That's what I am. I thought that's I'm, individual. No, no. Every person is the movement from potential knowledge to actual knowledge. What makes an individual is the is
3: the place you're at in the process.
0: Yeah. Where am I in the process? Where am I in the process? Where do they go through that process? This is true, every human, every human being, what makes them human is that they start off as this potential knowledge embodied in physicality, and then they're constantly, hopefully, moving towards developing actual knowledge. What makes, a, what makes a person unique? Where are they in that process? Where can they go in that process? Where can't they go in that process? That's what makes one person a distinct human being. Does this distinction exist with God? between what he is and his individual self. Because that distinction arises from the difference between potential and actual. But if God, no di- God there's no moving from potential to actual, then who he is as an individual and what he is is the same thing. So if he gives what he is over, he's giving his actual individual self over. And there is no analogy for that with people. You can't do that. If I, I have six children, right? I gave over my humanity to them, but they're not me. And as much as I can see them as a continuation of me, fundamentally, they're not a continuation of my process, they are their own process. But that's not true with God. What he is, is who he is. And therefore, if he gives over what he is, he's giving over his literal very self. Which means in a weird sort of way, now God is kind of in two places at once. He's beyond the world as God the creator, he's within the world as a Jew which is not really like a parent and a child, is it? I mean, there's some element of feeling that way, but you're not really, truly in two places at once. Yeah? Is this kind of like essence versus existence? Yeah, although the technical technical term for this is the the existence of the essence versus the essence of the essence. In every human being, there's the essence of our essence is that we're human but the existence of our essence varies and as such, we are human, human beings. But with God, there is no distinction because there's just, there's just the essence, there's nothing else. So he gives himself, he's giving, his there's nothing, he's giving himself. There's no giving, give, he's not giving something like himself, he's giving himself. And so there, the, what the author is saying here in time, just a second, he's saying is if you understood this idea from the Rambam, then you understand that we then apply the analogy of a father giving over his essence, it's much more powerful than what happens in a human being. In a human being you make something that is like yourself. Well God is not making something like himself, he's making something that actually is himself. So I'll end with a little certainly answer question. There was once a a, a, a heretic who came to the Bible, of Abu with Samach. And he said, if God is all powerful, can he make another God? The son said it said, Answer. It says in the Talmud that God called Jacob God. There's actually a verse in the Torah. So you can read that as saying, He called, and Jacob called, God, God the God of Israel. But because of the nuances of Hebrew grammar, you could also read it as, The God of Israel called Jacob God. And there's actually other statements, like this in the, in the Talmud and the Medrash, ascribing divinity to the Jewish people. As someone said, I said, well, we this one is a Jew. Well, now here's the thing, and this is the one that runs the problem. Like, we don't, but if it's another god, well, part of being god is that god is indivisible. So it's not, it's not another god. It, it's the same god. And then you run into And this is why we call Kabbalah mystical, because it, when you start taking any one of these notions on its own and analyzing it, works when you start putting them together, the normal framework that we have to think about these doesn't work. Like I understand what it means that like, I'm a human being, but the way in which I'm a human being is unique. And then I can copy what it means to be a human being and pass it on to my children, but then they have it as unique and they're a unique distinct human beings. That I can understand. It's hard, I can understand. I don't really understand what it means that, that, my, I, that my individual being is my essence. But the kindest of thing I am is who I am as an individual. And then to give that over. So is there one of me or is there two of me now? And the answer is, in some sense, one. In some sense, two. And the, the, and the challenges of navigating that relationship are the ups and downs of the life of the soul. Because in some sense, the soul isn't God, right? God gave over his essence. But in some sense, if it's really his essence, it is God. And so we say it's a part of God. It's not like a, it's not like a, 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 a euphemism for like important or good or positive. This is a truth that, the, that, 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 that the, the mind has a very hard time grasping. What if our godly soul is more revealed than our mind? Like, it's still not? So that depends. If our godly soul is more revealed within our intellect, then our minds would be able to understand. But if it's revealed in other avenues, then no. Right? So it can be revealed in faith, it can be revealed in love with fellow Jews, revealed in the joy of the mitzvah, and then you don't necessarily understand it. It won't bother you so much if you don't understand it, but you won't understand it. That's revealed within your intellect for you don't
1: understand it. No,
0: that's possible. Everyone wants to do But that's a journey. That's a like very long journey. Okay. So this is, like, it, it, this is what's going on that makes you a human being. Like, if you cut out the brain part and the senses part, then you're an angel. If you cut out the knowledge part, then you're an animal. This is what our sages say: that he being is half animal and half angel. Wait,
3: without the knowledge, you're an animal. You're an animal.
0: If you just have a brain that reacts to sense perceptions with experience, then you're an animal. If you have this other—I mean, by the way, most of the time, on what level do we function? Really? animal, right? This is evidenced by how hard it was for me to explain my knowledge, hard to, because most of our conscious experiences that we're having are basically not the fundamental of an animals. The pain of loss, yeah, the yearning for pleasure, right? these are not just the human thing. The, the rabbi actually says that you know animals feel compassion for their young. Feeling compassion doesn't depend on, feeling compassion doesn't depend on knowledge. Feeling compassion requires you know, sense, perception, instinct, and the capacity to experience. In fact, Rami even says that many animals feel more compassion for others than humans do. Are... What makes you human is this metaphysical reality that you live in, where concepts like purpose and justice and, you know, the square root of negative four bother you.
1: square
3: root of Okay. No one annoys
1: me. Alright. Yes. When you're saying where I am mm-hmm. in
0: the process, that process like time? Yeah. Yeah. Because your brain is bound by time and your senses are bound by time. So like the whole thing takes place within time. It's bound by location. It's bound by time. It's history. That's why angels are very good. They're going to the same class as other